0: Hello, welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast for another bonus episode. This one, we're um, we're featuring two more of our sort of Better Call Saul Insider Podcast all-stars, the members of the crew who you, you hear their names all the time, but they haven't necessarily been on the podcast, and so um, I wanted to have some little more focused conversations with them. And on today's episode, we're talking to the special effects coordinator, Werner Hanline. You've heard everybody's always talking about Werner did this and Werner did that. And we're also talking to director of photography, Paul Donecke. Now Paul uh, was a camera operator for a lot of Better Call Saul. And then in this final season, he became the director of photography of all of the even-numbered episodes which includes all of the episodes that I edited. So I really enjoy talking with both of them. And we're going to go ahead and kick it off with my conversation with Werner Handline. Okay, so probably of all the people that get talked about on the podcast, uh, like every week, the, uh, there's a lot of names that, that keep coming up. And I would say more than anybody, and somebody could correct me on this, the name that comes up the most frequently is you and that's Werner Hanline. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh glad to be here. A little bit nervous, but it's great. Oh, it'll it'll be it'll be fun. I was just saying this that that this is as it, as informal as the conversation gets. And sure. And we've so we've never met in just in real life, despite having technically worked together for years and years. And Yeah, that's uh, true. And it's it's just it's so so are you are you in LA now or Are you in Albuquerque? Where are you now in life? Right now, whenever I say I'm in Albuquerque, I feel like, I always
1: say I've lived here about 10 years, but then my wife reminds me it's been like 15 years. (laughs) I started in California doing special effects at Special Effects Unlimited Mm -hmm. way way back in the day for Joe Lombardi. And um, I had an opportunity to come out here and work on a show. And the next thing I know, here i am and i'm still here it's been so busy and there was quite a uh kind of a gap to fill here as far as effects goes and i think i brought a lot of la experience to the table and it's worked out pretty well and the crew i put together out here is kind of a i always call effects the island of misfit toys (laughs) because we kind of have all these weird skill sets that don't always make sense to everybody else but we can wire things or weld things or build things or do things that would have like no, you know, no place in the real world. So it kind of, we all fit in here really good. And, and I mean, the whole film crew is the Island of Misfit Toys. They're all oh, such a sure. weird, a great group of creative people that just fit into this weird
0: carnival life that we live, you know? For, oh, absolutely. And for, for people who, who don't know or aren't familiar with how the uh, motion picture crew works, what is your title on the show? I am a special effects coordinator and
1: that entails anything that moves on camera. Uh, We do a lot of practical effects that you wouldn't even know was a special effect, like a sink turning on. right? Or even they open a fridge and the camera's in the fridge. Looking back, we've cut the back of the fridge out and stuff like that. A lot of things no one even realizes the special effects. I kind of call that the bread and butter effects that just, We do that behind the scenes almost. No one even realizes, but it gets the job done and it makes the film better and and it helps
0: everyone understand what's going on. And how does so something like that? Something like, you know, the sink, they need to operate the sink. At what point are you and your team hipped to that? Like are is it are you do you read are you reading the script and you're like, oh, here we go. Gotta make sure we have water and gotta make, you know, how does that work? Uh, that's exactly right. The first thing that happens, I see. Oh, the guy goes to the sink, brushes
1: his teeth like they do all the time in Kim's apartment. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we want to know, is that a location or is that something we're going to build on stage? If it's a location, there's probably a sink there. Sometimes there's not. And we'll add a sink. And they put up a, you know, Steve Brown's construction crew will put up a fake wall with a sink and we'll build it and drain it. And uh, I always ask them how often, you know, what's he going to do in the sink? Do we need to heat the water? It's always drinkable water. We always use purified water we run it through Mm -hmm. a filter and it's always in the kegs that they would normally have you know coca-cola in or something like that so everything's nice and pure and i make sure my guys try it first and it's okay Mm -hmm. and yeah so a little thing like that becomes a big deal where you got to rig it and pressurize it and power it and drain it and then sometimes i'll just leave the sink on not thinking like well we have a finite amount of water here right right yeah it's the simple things like that are are the ones that can catch you if you're not prepped for it. So you got to treat every little gag, no matter how
0: small as, as important as the big ones. That's I didn't even think about it. Cause it's easy not to think about the fact that, that Kim's condo is not a real place. That is a set. It is on a soundstage and yet there's running water or I, I, what you made me think of was the scene last in season five where, uh, Kim is kind of like bathing, Jimmy's in the bath after his terrible sunburn. And um, so that's like purified water and it's, it's, it's not a real bathtub or I mean, it's a real bathtub, but that's, there's no like real plumbing that's not hooked up to anything and you're having to like evacuate that water somehow.
1: Yeah, that's correct. We always, whenever we have a sink or a tub or a shower, we always plumb the drain too. Then we send that off stage and we can pump it out, but you don't want to be pumping during filming. Cause that makes a little bit of noise. And then we have sure. an on-demand heater that will run the filtered water through. So what do you want, Jimmy? 104 degrees. You got it all day long. And then as Whoa. the day goes by, yeah, we'll drain some water out. We'll put some fresh hot water in there. And, and the, the key is to keep them comfortable because those poor guys are in it all day. You know?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Our job is to make sure he's comfortable
0: and, uh, I think we've done pretty well with all that. And how many people are on your team? Because that seems like a lot of stuff that you guys are all taking care of. It varies, um, but
1: let's just say on a show like this, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of effects, but there's probably eight of us. There's two guys on the set all the time because one guy wants to be near the director to cue what the other guy is doing and what we have to do if we have to close the door or, or, or turn off a of water or do something or have steam. We have guys in the shop that are prepping the next show or prepping gags for that show. So there'll be a welder, there'll be an electrician, there'll be other guys there just prepping different things. So when, when the guys show up on set, everything is ready to go. And I like to have the guys that rig it, run it. That way everyone's familiar with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then I'm usually one episode ahead and I'm on the meetings and the scouts and kind of getting everybody lined up for the next show.
0: Right. Right. And so like depending on the show, depending on the complexity of the effects, are you are you looking at that and saying, Hey, you know, to the producers, to the to the line producer, like we're gonna need more people. I I'm gonna need an extra X number of hands, or is that how that works? Or how what what are the yes. logistics? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you've got you you've got it figured out. Um, what happens is we did a big rain scene. hmm Well, that's uh that's labor intensive we're putting hoses out we're putting condor bars in the air we have rain towers on rooftops so we're using hundreds and hundreds of feet of fire hose a couple of water trucks so you have guys manning the condor bars and and there's a lot of safety involved in that too because you've got a lot of metal up in the air so you have extra people for certain jobs and they don't all have to have like a special effects skill set because if you have one guy in charge. And you could have a couple of extra guys that, that want to learn. They come in and, and they get to do the dirty work and we're all out there rolling hoses at three in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, but it all, it's all part of it. It's, it's kind of a, we kind of call it paying the dues, you know, right. If you want to learn, you kind of get in here. I had guys when we were doing snow mm-hmm. guys have never done effects, but you know, after doing a couple of episodes with snow, they know exactly what they're doing and they're quite capable of doing that. So it's, it's kind of a good way to get new bodies in here and see where the capabilities are because everyone's got certain talents. Sure. And you don't want to pigeonhole someone in a certain spot, but some guys are just good at electronics. Some guys just understand the basic practicalities of the mechanics. Some guys know the paperwork and the computers, which I don't, <laughs> you know? And so it's always good to have
0: a busier show to bring in some more bodies and train some new people. Now how, where, where's the intersection of, of special effects and, and say props. Like there's certain props that have to, that are themselves practical effects that have to work. Well, we um, are pretty fortunate on this show. Uh, I think the best
1: prop guy I've ever worked with is Mark Hansen. And he's also got guys in his shop. So what we'll do he'll come to us and he says, well, we got to build this GPS gag to show where this is going. I've got my guy wiring it up. Can my, I have an electrician, Bob house. If he can take a look at it and they work together and, and Mark Hansen's guys are totally um, capable of doing most of that stuff, but they come to us for some of the, uh, the mechanics of it usually, Mm -hmm. But, but he's got a very good crew and he's, he's the best guy I've ever worked with.
0: Uh, we, we hear that a lot too. That's a, That is definitely another, that's another name. I, I was saying, we just, I just talked to Sherry Montesanto who yes. I've, I've also never met in real life. And and it's like, I, I always think like your, your ears must be burning every time we record these podcasts because it really, it, <laughs> it, it, you come up so often uh, and there's been crazy stuff this year. Like, uh, like, uh, so what, so, okay. So anytime somebody gets hit with a, with a bullet, now we're not really killing those guys, right? We're
2: oh, yeah, not, We uh, kill them.
0: <laughs> it's the yeah, industry take. secret. Yeah, it's you only get the one time, and and uh, no. So, but squibs like squibs, which are yeah. little like. Well, what I mean, actually, I mean, I bet most people know what a squib is, but but if anybody doesn't, how would you just just define or describe a squib? Uh, and I'll say Vince Gilligan likes to do practical effects, so
1: I appreciate that. And when we do a squib. A squib is a small explosive device uh, that we get from Delamere Engineering. It's precisely manufactured, so every single one is going to do the same thing, depending on the size that you buy. Mm-hmm. And so, when you put a hit on a body on a person, what you're really doing is you're putting a piece that explosive in front of a piece of um, bronze or copper. And then you're putting a pad behind it. So that way the explosive charge is going out, not in, Mm -hmm. because then bad things happen. Mm. And then sometimes in front of that explosive charge, you put a little bag of blood or you'll put some red dust because Mm. Vince is very particular that blood doesn't squirt out of an incoming bullet hit. Right. And so that all gets put onto the wardrobe. The wardrobe will be weakened right where that squib is. And we kind of 77 spray it onto the back of the wardrobe. We put it on the actor, and we have a, a Holotron, which is a remote control device that he can run around, do whatever he wants, get in a car, get out. And when we want, we can push the button, and that squib will go off. And we always want to make sure his hands aren't in front of it. But that's where uh, Al Goto gets involved and makes sure the actor understands what's going on and, and how to be Al Goto,
0: the stunt coordinator. Yep, he's great. An, uh, yet another name this is like this, this these these sort of like these in-between season podcasts we're doing this is sort of like the 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 podcast all-stars the people that that you hear so much about you're like well let's hear let's hear about it like straight from your mouth so so how do you when you're putting a squib on on like are, are on an actor are you and al or how do you make them feel comfortable Has like, anybody ever like oh i'm freaked out i don't want to have this explosive device on me
1: No, you know what, they're all usually pretty excited about it. And what we'll do is, we'll do a video. And on this show, I do video tests of everything. Mm. Because that way you get the feedback, like I'll show Vince, six different bullet hits, and I'll say more blood, less blood, more dust, and he'll say we like number three, you know, Mm -hmm. so because you don't want to go to set, and then start changing your mind. So Vince, right, you know, that saves time, if you're ready, it saves time and time is money. So what happens is I'll do a little video. Maybe I'll shoot one of my guys or I'll shoot Al Godo and we'll show the the video to the actor. And he goes, oh, I understand. I see what's going on here. And and then he'll try one and go, oh, that was great, man. I didn't even feel it. It was awesome. (laughs) But they like having a real effect because it's a big bang there. And then you get a better reaction. You know, you can't just fake a gunshot reaction without, you know, a
0: big noise somewhere to get motivated. Right. So, yeah, that's that's I guess that's uh, that speaks to how game actors are, especially on the show to just like to just. And, well, and how safe they feel with the, the team that they they put the trust in in all of you, which is I mean, uh, it speaks highly of of you and the whole team. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Talk a little bit about the the air conditioning unit fall. <laughs> how, how, how did that all work? Because this because you're marrying a set and a location, right? So those are two different areas. Talk about that, that whole process.
1: All right, inside the motel room is a on set on stage. And what we did, we had um, our air conditioning unit is mounted in the wall that the construction is built and they've kind of reinforced it because that way when he kicks it, nothing moves. And we have a couple of pins back there. I always want to keep it as simple as possible. So we had a guy back there. I'm holding the air conditioner. I've got a big two by four supporting it. And he hits it once. Nothing happens. He hits it again. We pull a pin. It slides to the next pin. So it might move an inch. He hits it again. We pull a pin. It slides to the next spot. Might move an inch. And then on the last one, we pull all the pins out. He hits it and it goes flying right out the door there. (laughs) But I'll tell you, that guy can kick. I was... (laughs) Uh, probably twice I was holding an air conditioner and and he goes, Oh, just let me try it once. And I swear my ribs hurt for a week. Oh no. I I thought he was just going to like try it, but no, he, so he kicked it uh, and it would go flying. Then we just pick it up and reset it and do it again. And again, as many times as he wants. And I just wanted to say, I watched um, the third episode again last night with Michael Mando. Yeah. And man, that guy, he is so intense. Yeah. I was, Blown away by the acting, he went through a whole process, and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. You know? It was really something. And then back to the air conditioner. Once he kicked it out on stage, we went to location, and we had a little rig there to set the air conditioner on so we could slide it
0: right out mm-hmm. and have it land right where we wanted it to every time. Now, that how do a little, you, sorry, go ahead. How do you even think to rig something like that? I mean, starting with the, the one on set with the pins – Like, where did you, is that just, it's something you've learned along the way? Or, I mean, that's a, I wouldn't even, that none of that would even occur to me. Whenever they ask me
1: if I could do a gag, I always tell them the short answer is yes. And then they say, (laughs) how are you going to do it? i say, I have no idea. And then what you start doing, you break it down into little pieces and you look at every little thing. Okay. This, this air conditioner has to be mounted so he can hit it. What do we do? Okay. We're going to mount it like this. Okay. Now it's got to move. What are we going to do? Okay, we're going to mount it like this, but we're going to have to adapt the first part a little bit. Now it's got to move again. How do we accomplish that? Okay, so now we start you start breaking it down into smaller pieces that are more manageable and then once you get the little pieces that you can understand, you put them back all together into a big giant
0: gag or rig and then it all works because you've you've tested every small piece along the way. That seems to be like the the biggest takeaway that is is that you test things, that you make sure it works, that you're not just winging it because <laughs> because it, it's time is money, like you said, and and also this stuff is expensive and also you need to make sure that it's safe. Right. And you don't want the entire
1: film crew standing there while you're scratching your head. Oh, no. No. Have you, have you ever I've had also, that experience in your career? Oh, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I blocked it from my memory. <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, I can't think so. I'm, I'm one of those guys that I want to have the gag in a box on the shelf, ready to go. I don't want to guess on the day. And uh, I think we learned something on that one episode of breaking on Better Call Saul. We had to push the car off the cliff, right? Remember the old steam? Uh Oh yeah. It hung up on the cliff there because we all thought, oh, we're going to, we're going to pull this with a rope. I'm forcing it over and that whole cliff's going to break. This is going to be awesome. It, It, the front wheels went over and it stopped. And we're like, what, you know, cause that's something you can't test. Right. You don't have a spare esteem. No. And so we just kept driving. We had a, we had a little gator, a little cart attached to it. And he kept driving and it just kept working its way off. And the guys that were acting played right along with it. And, uh, I remember it went over the edge after a little bit of pushing and it fell exactly where it was supposed to. And I'm just there, just kind of dying inside <sighs> and, uh, Vince comes on the radio and goes, Hey, Warner, that was awesome. We're going to use that. That was great. And I remember I said, I love you, Vince, <laughs> you know, right on the radio. Cause, cause it did not go as I had planned it to go. And we all thought, Oh, that whole, that whole section is going to give way. And he made it work. Cause you know what? It looked more realistic. Two guys aren't just going to push a car off a cliff and it's going to jump off of there. Right. And he understood that. And, uh, he's so, um, approachable. And you could pitch him the dumbest idea in the world, and he'd be like, You know what? That's pretty good, but I think maybe we'll try this. Mm -hmm. Not like, Hey, you're an idiot. Don't why are you opening your mouth? You know, he is just the most pleasant guy to be around, and he understands the practicalities of some of these things, Mm -hmm. and he's willing to compromise where things aren't like physically possible. And Mm -hmm. I try to
0: give him everything he wants because. Uh, he deserves it. He's the greatest. I, I want to talk, but I don't. That not want to keep you all day, but I, I want to talk about the uh, the oil in six oh three. All of that stuff. I, I I heard that you guys did a ton of prep, uh, tests, and all, and and that stuff. And we talked a little bit with Sherry about the sort of creation of the material of the oil, and um, but I I would love to hear your perspective on the challenge of everything involving the oil. Yeah, that's starting with
1: a tanker itself uh we had probably 1500 gallons of oil in there that's a lot of weight that's tons of liquid and so the construction crew with stevie brown they built the oil tanker and they they we talked we, we were kind of working together but they did the majority of the welding and we talked about how we need to support it and what we need to do and how we need to spread the load on the stage And uh, once they got that in place, there is a place in Santa Fe Springs called Blair Adhesives. There's a guy at Blair Adhesives named Scott. He will make any liquid, any consistency, any color, any time, as much as you need, safely. And it's all, he makes it, I'll say, hey, I need oil. How thick? Oh, let's send me a couple of five-gallon buckets. He'll send me dirty oil, right? but it's totally safe. You could rub it all over your body. It doesn't matter. You could drink it if you had to. And some of it's so thick that we used it to smear on his face and on his clothes mm-hmm. it was thin and it didn't really work for us. We used probably the middle grade viscosity in the tank where when he gets underwater, you see the ripples kind of go away really quick yeah. where if that was water, it would have just kept, you know, if we just tinted water, it would have just kept sloshing around. So it was a pretty thick oil. And I got to say, we went to test this and we had a big old tub on stage and Al Godo had one of his stunt doubles there. And he got in the oil to show Michael Mando mm-hmm. and Michael Mando was like, Hey, let me get in that thing. And he jumped right in under went under and everything <laughs> uh, uh, I was blown away. And, uh, and so what we ordered, we ordered probably, uh, 1500 gallons of this stuff. And we probably used 1200 gallons inside the tanker. Whoa! And then over the weekend we were running pipes with hot water through it to warm it up because, you know, if it's only like, if it's 80 degrees, it's not that bad, but if you're in it all day, mm-hmm. it sucks the heat out of you. So we right. got it up to, you know, 86, 88 where it's comfortable. And I'll say he went in there, uh, not a complaint. It was, it was great. I, I was blown away by how Michael Mando was so um, willing to get in there and mm-hmm. do his part because it's covered his whole body. And then they had a nice shower set up for him outside. We had a whole shower heated that he could rinse off before he went to his trailer. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge deal, but it all worked out really well because we just started putting the little pieces together. And like my job was to get the oil and make it safe. Right. Construction's job was to build the tanker and make it safe. Sherry's job was to have the makeup on his face mm-hmm. and make that safe. You know, and wardrobe the same thing. They had we had different consistencies that we could put on the wardrobe so it would stay on longer and not run off. And then, uh, when he did wash it off, finally, that was at another location, up by Tierras, where we had to heat water and we had to run a hose that he could wash off. It's all departments working together. And that's one good thing about this show. All the departments work together. It's
0: really great. Well, and Michael described, when he was on the podcast, he described some kind of like, there was like a trap door or something. when Because when he's under the oil, he described some kind of rigging. We only had oil right where we needed it. We
1: had a little walkway under the oil that was non-skid so he wouldn't slip because that's very slick once you start heading down a hill on metal. And then we had handles down there that once he sat down, he could grab the handles and pull himself down. Mm. It was basically him just laying flat out, and holding himself underwater or under the oil until uh, he felt like coming up. But there was there was no trap door. It just we made life easier for him by putting some handles down there and putting some non
0: skid tape and stuff for him. I got it. OK, that 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 makes sense. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Is, is there, just but right before we go, are there any, from from your work in all of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, is there one effect that sticks with you as, as something that you really are super proud of or that you think about all the time or that people ask you about? That's not fair to ask me that. It isn't, it. you're right. It's a terrible question. You don't but have do to answer know, it. <laughs> I do know the answer. Yeah? The, the answer is the shootout at the
1: compound at the end of breaking bad. Yeah. That was the coolest thing (laughs) I ever did. There was so many bullet hits. There was so much wire and that gun coming out of the trunk. Uh, One of my guys, Joe Ulibari, designed that and built that and, uh, it worked fantastic. And I think that whole setup was the coolest thing ever. And Vince, directing it could tell me, okay, start the bullet hits here, stop the bullet hits here. And that way we don't waste it. And we didn't have to reset. And he, he piecemealed that together so that we didn't waste any time trying to reset things. And we just moved on and moved on and moved on. And and that was the most amazing bit of filming I think I've ever done.
0: It well, and it's one of the best episodes <laughs> of television of all time. Oh yeah. So, so yeah. I mean the, the work that went into all that, and it, it all pays off and it, and, I mean, on behalf of everybody here, you know, in the editing room, <laughs> you know, we owe a great debt to you for making these things actually function and work in a way that I think a lot of a lot of people watching wouldn't necessarily assume a that it's an a, an, a special effect or b that it's not a visual effect. Because um, we try, you know, we try to not rely on visual effects, you know, as much as we can, and you know, or to marry like really excellent special effects with with you know visual effects so i am i just i can't thank you enough and and uh, and thanks a lot for coming and, and talking this has been awesome
1: oh yeah my pleasure yeah. it's
0: uh it's always uh, exciting and kind of it's fun
1: for me too awesome thanks
0: thank you all right that guy's awesome and uh, we actually talked about several more things but you're just gonna have to wait because they were about future episodes so i'm gonna pepper those into later podcasts uh, and now on to my conversation with Paul Donicky. on the podcast every episode we're always talking about the crew and and you know the, the 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 big knock on this podcast that i've read is people saying like oh it's just a bunch of people telling each other how much how great they are right, and yeah. how how great everybody is and but one and one of the names that we hear over and over and over again is your name You know, well, somebody will say, Paul Donaghy, Paul did this, Paul did that. And and before, you know, I got, I was lucky enough to be in Albuquerque working with Michael Morris last year. And so I, I got to come out on uh, a couple of scouts with you guys for, for Ray's episode, just, just observing. I mean, I wasn't, I I wasn't materially helping at all. But I, but I, I, finally got to meet you and see this character. Cause you, you've loomed large as this, as this character almost, because you know this, this, the stories are kind of legendary about, about your, your abilities and your energy and your stamina and and your approach to things, and uh, so that it was, it was very cool to finally meet you, and I think it'll be cool for the audience to finally get to meet you a little bit too, and, uh, and. And the work that you've done this year, I mean, so you started,
2: when did you start on the, on the show? Uh, my first season was season two, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, DP called Arthur Albert. Um, right. I'd, I'd been working with Arthur in Florida actually. And, um, he, he got a call from Vince or Peter and, and he'd, he'd done season one. Right. And, uh, The operator originally did it, wasn't available. So uh, Arthur said, hey, why don't you come and do this? So um, and I looked up the show and I looked at the first season and thought, wow, this is a great show. I really want to do this. And um, so there I was and uh, been there ever since. Really wanted to finish the whole thing off. I don't normally do more than one season of anything because I like to change what I do and go to different places, meet different crews and people. But um, I had to stick with Saul. It was such great fun.
0: Oh that's that's so interesting. So so you normally you like to kind of just drop in for a season and yeah, I mean, tell me tell me about like how did you get your start?
2: Uh I started as a 18 year old. I was actually an assistant editor Chris. That was my first job. All right. In the dungeons of the editing room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in London and you know, editing rooms were Always put in the basement for some reason. So you go into a building and say, "Hey, hey, can you tell me where the editing room is?" And they say, "Well, it's down those stairs." Are you sure you want to go? Are you sure you want to go down there? You
0: know. <laughs> yeah, the last person we sent down there hasn't returned.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it was great. I love being an assistant editor. It taught me a hell of a lot, and it, and it's still information I use today. You know about editing and cutting, and you know talking to directors and kind mm-hmm. of having an insight into how things are cut. You know and. And, you know, that that was my start, basically, at a small company in Covent Garden in London that made TV commercials. So TV commercials as well, you know, they cut fast and Mm -hmm. quick, and, you know, you do two or three a week, and, you know, you'd learn so much, you know. And the company had its own camera department, its own prop department. It was like a little Warner Brothers in Covent Garden, about, you know, 50-foot square, you know. it (laughs) It had a little stage and, you know, we used to uh used to make do all, all our own pack shots and i used to light i used to light those and load the film and do everything really park people's cars go and buy <laughs> people's cigarettes for them
0: it's a <laughs> full, full service job you had
2: yeah absolutely yeah i was a runner really but uh, but that, but i ended up in the um in the cutting room with for a couple of years with the sort of in-house editor there
0: and how did you make that transition to camera and was that something that you had been passionate about or how how did that happen
2: yeah I mean I always wanted to be in camera initially and uh, because we had our own little studio I looked after all the camera equipment and loaded the film and all that kind of stuff and ended up um I was there for five years and eventually um they said right you've got to leave now you should go out freelance and so I, I left as a freelance second assistant cameraman and they they employed me after i'd left as a freelancer and just went on from there you know it's all word of mouth in this industry isn't it
0: oh of course it's i mean that the the cliche is that it's a a relationship business but but it, it really is and it's not yeah i mean that it's actually that's advice if you're an aspiring filmmaker you're or you want to get into the film industry or television industry make real connections and you know sort of be 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 the person that is that they need to have, that they want to have and who works the hardest. I that's, yeah. that's always worked for me.
2: Well, I think, I think one of the big, the big things is keep your eyes and ears open, you know, mm-hmm. find out what's going on, listen to what everybody says around you. And I mean, I'd still do that now on set, you know, it's, um, I, I listen to all the conversations going on at once. And, you know, you, so you know, what's going to happen, you know, what's coming up, you know, you know, what to sort of to fend off things, make things better, make, the, you know, so, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's, it's, that's that's the main main piece of my advice I can give to anybody is a get your first job, <laughs> which which is the hardest thing to do. The second one's not as hard to get, um, but yeah, get your first job and just keep your ears and eyes open and just work really hard. But, you know what else can you do? But work hard and uh, and be helpful.
0: I, I think, but I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen it. People are not always. Don't always understand how, how hard you have, what, what hard work actually means sometimes.
2: Just the hours alone. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, we work, you know, in the States, you can work 14, 15 hours a day, you know. It's not so true in Europe, but, but, but in the States. You can do I mean, it's coming down now, but but that was the case for a long, long time. You just work all these incredible hours every week, you know. Right.
0: So uh, what, what are the challenges of going, like starting a show and then, you know, leaving uh you know what working with different and, and when you did that are you working with different dps are you how and how are you getting those gigs it's just again word of mouth
2: yeah pretty much i mean it, as an operator uh camera operator um i work very closely this is two different systems there's the U- uk and the us system and you work very closely with the director um and most of my jobs have come from directors funnily enough Who've said, hey, I know this guy is an operator. Can we use him um, to the DP? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have a chat with the DP. And if his guy's not available, then you're in there, you know, and it's and that's how, how you move on, you know, from one job to the other. And then you meet new directors on the season and they'll give you another job, or the DP will give you another job, you know. It's just it's one, it's hand to mouth, really one job who takes you on to the next you know oh,
0: and and you're also you in addition to being <clears throat> excuse me the a-camera operator you were also cam
2: operator right yeah yeah that's uh it's a sort of another string to your bow as an operator you know that can get you a bit of work you know doing the cam. i'm not the greatest steadicam operator in the world to be honest there are guys that are a lot better than me but um but i enjoyed it and it was uh, you know you can do stuff that you can't do with a normal camera and you know, sure so you know gives gives you options you know gives the director options you know if they if they come up with a shot or you can suggest a shot you know Say so, yeah, we we got the cam on the truck. Let's use it, you know.
0: And so then, so last year, season five, you had the opportunity to DP to to move up from camera operator to director of photography on uh, Gordon's episode five hundred four, I think it was.
2: That's right. Yeah, I mean Marshall Adams is who's, who's the other DP who's mm-hmm. fantastic, who's a fantastic DP, and was actually incredibly supportive of me, uh, and I have to thank Marshall for that. Um, he had to color time color in the uh, el camino movie that vince did
0: that's right
2: so um he had to go off to la and do that and that gave me an opportunity and they, they kind of looked around the room and said well who the hell can we get if marshall's not here you know so, <laughs> and, I, and i sort of put my hand up you know and that was great fun it was working with i think it was gordon's first directorial it was uh and he was great fun to work with gordon and he'd written the episode i think that's that correct right? yeah yeah that's and, absolutely uh, right yeah we had we had some fun yeah and so it was a bit of a, it was an outing for both of us you know it was it was a new territory for for me on Saul and and for Gordon and I think we worked well together and I enjoyed it very much anyway
0: H- had you DP'd before and yes on the done, other stuff? I had yeah.
2: oh yeah I've done I've done quite a bit of stuff I've done a lot of second unit stuff and I did a tv series over in the UK um yeah about a year before 18 months before that so, so yeah, of course. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I've worked with, you know, hundreds of DPs in my life and, sure. I've watched, you know, and I've watched them, you know, ever since I was an 18 year old, I've been watching DPs work, you know, and learning what to do and what not to do, you know, one of the first DPs I worked with is a guy called Freddie Young, who I don't know, who um, was a very famous DP, won Oscars um Brian's daughter and um, uh, you know he he worked, he worked with david lean a lot and stuff like that. so i worked oh, wow. with people like that you, you know and um that was a long time ago he was an old man by then i mean basically all i did was carry around his light meter for him <laughs> and and look after his cigarettes but um <laughs> Which I had to hide when his wife turned up.
0: Oh, geez. But did she not? She had no sense of smell that she could? Well, she, no, she just
2: <laughs> apparently not, you know. Oh. <laughs> Freddie said to me, just don't give me a cigarette when she's around, please. You know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I learned, I, you know, you, you watch these people over the years and, and, you know, that's how to learn by watching. Them.
0: And how different is that? I mean, I have to imagine taking on that responsibility and there's... Uh, there's so many differences, which maybe the you know that'd be interesting to talk about the differences between showing up on the day and being the camera operator and showing up on the day and being the director of photography. I mean, how how much more pressure is there, and what what are some of the different things that
2: that you have to do? Well, it, to be honest, it's not hard because uh, there's such on on Saul. There's such a wonderful uh, cast of characters on both sides of the camera, so you get huge support from. Melissa and Vince and Peter and Jen and everybody on the show gives you huge support and um, I, d- I don't really get nervous about, about being on a set because I've been on a set all my life so um, and I kind of thought well if I don't know what I'm doing then I've always got the gaffer to do it for me and <laughs> Steve Latecki it was it was very helpful and you know did a huge amount of great work for me and um, no I, I wasn't nervous I kind of had a plan and, and with Sword you had you you know, we had prep time. I had time to talk with the directors and we worked it all out. And, you know, the, the main bonus of that is giving the director time on the set to make his film or her film. Right. You know? They don't want to spend time light watching me lighting. You know, I mean, the more prep you can do, the more the more you can get done before you get there or you know exactly what's going to happen. And that gives the director more time to work with his actors, you know.
0: Well, that's a different thing that we did this year is that we we had two DPs. We had Marshall and we had you every other episode uh, being the DP, which normally it was just the one DP and nobody had any prep time and it was because you're just constantly shooting and you would just inherit this prepped show. Talk, yeah talk a little bit about the experience of prep like how how do you use as a dp how would you use prep and prep is is the the period of time which is usually about um Jen correct me if I'm wrong it's it's usually about the same amount of days that you have to shoot the episode but you do it before and it's when you scout all the locations and you you know, you, you figure out how we're, you do the scheduling and figure out how you're going to make your days. And, uh, but how do
2: you use that prep time? Well, I mean, the location part of it is immense, you know, I mean, you, you know, if you're choosing a store, for example, you know, we, we'd go to three or four different stores and, um, you know, obviously the store has to work for the director, for the actors and, and, and for the lighting, you know, so it gives me a chance to say, well, this doesn't work. We're going to get blasted with sun all day. I can't, take that off or the, the the environment there's nowhere to put lights in this place you know that kind of thing so so one of that one of the huge advantages of prepping is that you you can you can kind of choose locations and and make them work for everybody um whereas on a, a non-prep show you can turn up to a to a set or location and how the hell are we going to do this you know i mean i mean the 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 gaffer and the key grip Uh, go off on the scouts Uh, they go away for a couple of days and do some scouting and they'll come back with information if you haven't got prep you know if there is no prep time and um, you can go visit the places in the evening or the weekend or whatever but um, but having prep is hugely helpful from a location point of view getting to know your director finding out what they want um, working things out with them and you can turn up on a set kind of ready Uh, uh, you've already shot it in your head you know and um so that, that saves a huge amount of time
0: you you also were working with two first-time directors on at least on the show um for ray it was her first time directing anything like that and for uh giancarlo he had directed but not on the show that's right talk about the experience of of sort of being there, you know co-pilot and being there you know shepherding them through this what what you know, could be, I assume for a first timer on the show, a a relatively
2: daunting experience. Talk about Ray firstly. I mean, she's got so much energy. She's so enthusiastic. She's so much fun to be with, you know, just, just around her is great fun. And, and uh, I think she felt a little, a little daunted, but um, you know, we, with that prep time again, you know, we had time to, I had time to talk the, talk her through. She obviously she's been on set. She knows how it works. From the from that perspective uh, but it all all the prep stuff that you have the you know the costume the makeup all the stuff you have to discuss uh, with uh, you know me and her basically just worked hand in hand with Angie Mayer who the first AD he was great as well she you know the, the three of us kind of just worked through the whole thing together and hopefully um, help help Ray you know get it done and she did a great job
0: yeah, she, she
2: really great. did and uh, what about Giancarlo what was that experience like Oh John Carla's is such good fun too. He um he's directed before, he kind of knew knew what he liked, um, knew what he didn't like, and and same thing. We worked through we worked through the script together, you know, with with, with both Ray and John We we went through it scene by scene, um, pretty much how we're gonna shoot it. Um so we so we had more time to work with the actors on the day. And John uh, Gian, Carla was fun to work with, you know. He, he, he enjoyed it a lot. He was, he was he enjoyed being on the set. He enjoyed the directing experience. Um, and I think he's going to do more of it, to be honest.
0: Oh, he definitely is. As with Ray, I'm sure. Oh, I hope so. She did such a great yeah. job. And she's also, to echo what you said, I mean, here, here we go. Just talking about how great people are. But but she is. I mean, she's like one of the warmest, best people I've <laughs> ever met.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the challenges for her actually was was the editing part of it. You know, she said, what coverage do we need? How do we, you know, how do we how do we know we've got enough coverage, you know, and how do we, and, and that's experience, you know, that's where my experience and Angie's experience came in, you know, we say, well, you, you, you'll need this because you are not going to use all of it, you know, you, and it, you've got to have choice in the cutting room, as you know, Chris, and oh, choice, yeah. in the cutting, co- choice in the cutting room is one of the things that you, you try and give to a director as much as you possibly can. You know? And then
0: you also working with Vince Gilligan. Now, Vince, I, I unlike other directors in, in, television or even in film that i've worked with he provides uh his director homework which is sort of he he draws out like where all like what's going to happen in the scene kind of like a bird's eye view and and he's very specific about where the camera's gonna be and and um and he also doesn't like to reuse shots whenever possible which uh is a can be an editing challenge, uh, but how is that also a challenge for you as a DP when working with somebody with that kind of specificity? Like, how? Do, what? What is the collaboration for you like with with a with a, a director like Vince? Oh, it's a nightmare. No, I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, Vince is uh, one of the easiest directors in the world to work with. He he knows you discuss the scene, you know, in your prep period. Uh, we don't know what the shots are going to be, but um, my priority for Vince really is to light the light the set so he can just go. Once it, once he gets his first shot going, he just he just keeps going. And and uh, we have this very specific homework, as you say, um, angles, uh, so, you know, a wide shot, two close ups, you know, top shot, whatever it's going to be. Uh, I mean, you you could have input in that. We can all have input in that as well, you know. Vince, For sure, Vince isn't um, you know strict, and sometimes he will he will see a shot and he'll say, "Oh, I don't need those other two shots," and and get rid of them, you know, um, or he'll add one, you know, very rarely, very very rarely. But normally, normally he um, normally just we just nail it with his homework, and he knows how he's going to cut it, or he, he thinks he knows how he's going to cut it, and um, and normally that's how it ends up, you know. I've, I've watched scenes, and I think god that is exactly how he's kind of, <laughs> how, how it was how it was in the homework you know oh and, for sure and, you know and he and he comes up with some great shots uh, great ideas and he and he i mean he's a diamond to work with because he's you know he, he gets a, he's, he's so kind to everybody and um it, it's it's actually very easy working with it, it, it it's when you when you, it's hard to work with a director who doesn't know what they want um the the one who does know what they want, and think Vince really knows what
0: he wants. Well, and I feel too. I mean, because mo- most directors are very um, private about their their prep work. And their it's at least as an editor, I don't normally get shot lists or shot plots or any of that stuff. They just don't share them, and Vince shares it all, which I, I find very helpful because it just to know what that person's intention is, um, and I think. I think it's a testament to him and and sort of, I don't know, maybe just a lack of ego about it that he's comfortable sharing all that stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, there there is no ego with Vince at all. I mean, he, you know, he he knows he's got a day, he's got the schedule, he's got to keep to that. And, um, and he'll, he'll work. He he sees the film made in his head before we get there, you know, and, and um, that's what we try and accomplish for him, you know?
0: Well, before I let you go, I mean, for for people who are sort of looking to get into this, do you have do you have any like crazy stories or interesting experiences from other uh, other shows or this show that sort of stick out in your head as like so just you know those 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 crazy? Because I, I know I've heard I've heard tell that you have told some pretty
2: wild stories from other uh, shows. Oh, you put me on the spot now. <laughs> well. Uh, I was I was very young. I was working for on a on a British TV show, which was kind of about these techie kind of spy characters. It, you know, it was a bit comic book. And um, I turned up one day, and uh, they said, "Well, we need this top shot of this van, which was about to explode from the top of <laughs> this this crane." I mean, you know those huge cranes that they have in cities. You know, vertical things with sure. Them, you know, I, I don't know what they technical word for them is but um so I'm there I've got the camera and all the ready and they say, oh we've got a guy to film it you know he's a he's a mountaineering expert he's climbs things all the time and uh sure this guy turns up and he says um yeah great okay uh, I'll see you up there he puts all this safety gear on he clips himself onto this and that and he shoots up this crane with no equipment and uh, the producer like looked at me and sort of Sort of nodded, gave me a funny look and expected me to climb 300 feet in the air up this ladder, vertical ladder with a camera and all the equipment. So I did it. I went up this ladder and then went out about another 50 feet out over nothingness, climbing <laughs> along this lattice work. Gave the guy the camera. He pointed the camera straight down, squirted it, squirted off the bit of footage that he needed and said, Right, see you down there. And left. Oh, oh. <laughs> Was just Whoa. literally unclipped. I had no safety gear. I had no Jeez. harness, no ropes, nothing. <laughs> so, it, it, I mean, if that guy hears it, I, I, I'd like to meet that guy again and not buy him a drink. <laughs> I think he owes you a drink. He owes me a drink, that's for sure. Um I mean, Crazy stuff he used to have to that's, do. I mean, that's this is pri- prior to health and safety, yeah.
0: Oh, or, well, or it existed and people just said, ah, fuck it.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's uh you we need we need the shot. You might die but we need it.
0: <laughs> that's that's nuts. Um do you uh, you know do you have a is there a shot from this past season that sticks out cuz I know I know I remember hearing from everybody that the, there would be certain shots in episodes like in in Rays episode where there's that that through the winch – the uh the uh
2: Oh, Is in, in, uh, where you pulled the, the the window
0: out, or or yeah, or moving through the windshield in six oh two.
2: Yeah, that was that was um, a crazy idea that I came up with. Just I thought it, I I actually wanted to do the shot while the truck was moving, while while uh, Mando Nacho was uh, shooting at the cousins. But uh, Vince said no. I like a good moment for it is when he he loads the puts the clip in the gun and loads it just before he go, goes off. Uh, One of my favorites was Ray's actually was in the uh, was going through the tunnel from uh, from Gus's house to the safe house.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, right. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that whole sequence, actually. Um, That was good fun. And that was Steadicam. I did the Steadicam through that through that tunnel. And the the best part about it is the cut, Chris, because we had to because it was two locations. It was a set and Mm -hmm. a real location. And I thought, well, how, how can we make this into one shot that we go? Going- right. So the audience knows it's, hey, there must be a tunnel there. Then Did these guys build a tunnel or what? You know, and because uh, you want to, you know, you wanna, I wanted the audience to think, think that, God, they've actually done this. They've gone all the way from one house to another underground. And um, I thought, well, how do we put this cut in? And, and so, so as he as Giancarlo gets to the top of the stairs, I just sort of buried the camera in his back, and then the way you cut it, Chris, it just comes out seamlessly the other end. And the other end was the same door. Right. Uh, that they match the door on the set from the location, but behind the camera, where Giancarlo goes through the door into the little hallway in the other house, is a tiny, tiny little bathroom. I mean, it's you can one person can't fit in there, never mind two. So I'm, I'm, and then that part of it was too narrow and too small to do. Um, Steadicam, so I was doing it handheld, right? And um, so I had the camera wedged up. I was had one one foot either side of the toilet, and Giancarlo's in front of me. And as he as he starts to open the door, I, I moved the camera up as if we were still going up the stairs, and went through together. I love that shot. That was that was fun. yeah a fun shot.
0: That's a that's a great. Yeah, I remember Ray on the on the podcast. Ray talked about how when you guys first were looking at the set of the 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 two basements and the tunnel that you immediately said oh can we please shoot this in one so we can actually take the audience physically through this space and and uh,
2: which is that's such a great idea that you had that's awesome you know no i just thought i mean it works as a you know a concept and uh, i mean denise helped me out because there was nowhere to put any lights you know so so i wanted to see the whole the whole space if the uh, the basement from Gus's house, the basement in the the neighbor's house, uh, so I kind of did two three sixties in the in the same shot, mm-hmm. um, and there was nowhere to nowhere to put any lights. So Denise helped me out in the in the basement in the other in the safe house with putting this great light in the ceiling. We I asked for a light in the ceiling, and she she made it look great. It's kind of the size of a pool table up in the ceiling there, and that was the only the basically the only light source in the room, you know. But it, yeah, but, yeah, it was a it was a great set and um, great acting by Giancarlo Kane, of course.
0: Yeah, I love I love that shot, and I'm I'm so glad there there there. Yeah, I'm. You'll be disheartened to know there was a version where we did cut and we used that frontal, um, where you could see the sort of doppelganger a little bit better. Yeah. But uh, 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 luckily, the wiser heads prevailed. Wise, wiser than me, in fact, because that was my cut. Um, but also I, sometimes you want to show the director every, everything, you know, give them a sense of what they have. And, and, uh, but I know Ray and then of course, Peter, uh, they, they really, everybody was so in favor of, of that, that one shot. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just a, it's a masterful shot. You know, another one that I believe was, uh, totally your idea was the, was mounting in 604, also Ray's shot, mounting the camera on the, door that then swings open
2: while jimmy goes
0: and and uh plants that cone
2: yeah it was just a it was a silly idea just a you know so we don't do the the regular master you know jimmy gets out of the car goes over moves the car gets but you know it's just another way of telling the story without without with, from a slightly different perspective and that's what great what's what's great about this show is you, you. that's the challenge let's let's tell the story exactly how peter and vince and everybody wants to it across but from a slightly different perspective if you can you know not to be obtuse about it but but right just just do something that's just a bit of fun and and slightly different you know and it still tells the story another shot vince said to me he liked was um we had a shot of nacho's house where they were bringing the new safe Mm -hmm. and um i said well rather than do the just a regular establishing let's give the audience all the information they need which is this is nacho's house there's a truck arriving and um, Victor is is driving a truck. So, uh, so, you know, we just put the camera on the ground, which is a, a regular shot of Nacho's house. Truck drives over the top of it. Oh, we've got a truck arriving at Nacho's house. And sure enough, Jeremiah jumps out, you know, Vic, who plays Victor. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's little things like that, that slightly different perspective, but still gives the audience all the information they need, you know?
0: I mean, are you always looking for stuff like that? to to try and and do you find that on other shows they're they're more or less
2: receptive to that kind of thing um some shows are receptive um because each director wants to make you know make it slightly different from the light. you know if you're on season 10 of something then everything's established and you know everybody but but um yeah no people are generally receptive to wise i mean i if somebody says no that's a stupid idea right? I, I don't mind that's great you know let's move on you know <laughs> your, your idea your idea is much better you know so no I'll, I'll throw out stuff out there and if if you don't like it that's fine by me you know but, but sometimes you take it on board and sometimes they don't you know? i enjoy doing that it's just it's just it spices the day up you know uh well we end
0: the, the podcast um where one of our guests does their their best kind of Bob Odenkirk, Saul Goodman style. Better call Saul. Would you, oh, okay. uh, would you do the honors uh, for this one? Sure, Chris, uh, yeah, would you take us out? Okay. Better call Saul. All right. Thank you.